Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon. If you couldn't tell by the sound of the same voice that I've had for several years now, uh, you know, it's me. It's Matt. Anyways, no no one cares about me. Everybody does care about my guest because we're lucky to be joined by Pat Doherty from our friends at NBC Sports Edge. Pat, what's going on, man? Not much. I don't want to take people too behind the scenes, but uh, I originally it was Andy who asked me to do this, and I said no. So then they swapped <laughs> out Andy, they brought you in, and that's why I'm here. I so. mean, that is legitimately the first time that that's happened usually they're like nah forget that i'm not not doing a Harmon pod uh he'll probably just talk about himself for 45 minutes but actually that's not even what we're gonna do today we're not gonna talk about me at all pat i specifically brought you on because it's the middle of uh you know well actually it's not the i was gonna say the middle of may which shows you how uh how in sync i am with the universe may 2020 right now. folks may 2020 Unbelievable. What a time. Uh, no, but yeah, it's, it's June. So it's the middle of nothing season in the NFL for the most part. But Pat, you drop, I think this is an annual heater that you drop here at this point, the 32 head coach ranking in the NFL. So that is specifically what we brought you on to talk about today. So we're going to talk literally for like 45 minutes about everything that you did, every, all of your thoughts on things. Number one, how do you feel about that? I feel great about that. Uh, you know, I'm sure every opinion I have is just, you know, easily defensible. I'm sure all my logic was impeccable and won't crumble under scrutiny, that kind of thing. No, yeah, I'm, I'm well, I, I, I saw your, your coworker, Denny Carter, out there digging up some gems from Giants Twitter. Apparently, they're they're ready to come at you with torches and pitch for, for all that stuff, you know. But we're, I mean, we're saving that. We're saving that. We'll we're going to get that. to the coach rankings. A little bit. We're going to dive into all of like, I, I want to know not just about the uh, the process and uh, your methodology, the, all the spreadsheets that you're using to crank this <laughs> stuff out. I, I really want to know about the response to this thing. But before we do all that, we are going to get on to a little bit of news here. It's funny. I feel like everybody's been waiting for this magical June 1st date. Uh, where set the salary cap situation was going to swing so much that Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones and Zach Ertz, all of those guys were going to get traded. None of that has happened as we sit here no. uh, 1 p.m. Pacific-ish on June 3rd, so several days after. It feels like the Julio Jones thing is going to happen, but it might not. It, now they're saying it might happen. You know, Steve White, who works for the Falcons, also NFL Network, he's saying, like, this thing might go all the way to training camp. So if you're just dying, you're hanging by a thread, for that news bit, that's probably not going to happen. But 
We do have a couple of running back stories to hit on real quick. AJ Dillon. The quad father. The quad father. Well, that's one of his legs because apparently he insists that one of his legs should be called Quadzilla. The other is the quad father. Now, Pat, I've said many times that I believe former Packers running back and current Detroit Lions running back is going to be a thing. Jamal Williams, he's going to be a thing for the Lions this year. Table him for just a second. Where are you like with A.J. Dillon and this Packers backfield? Because I I really love these. I'll admit, I have a bias towards these like big quad backs and like uh, just these big powerful backs in general. I mean, I felt, I mean, Derek Henry's not quite the, a quad father type, but he's a massive beast. I fell in love with him years ago as a player. I, I fall for these big backs on good offenses. Uh, I was ready to overdraft the hell out of AJ Dillon. And then obviously Aaron Jones comes back. Where are we at with this backfield uh, tandem quads aside, or maybe quads in focus? I don't know, wherever you want to take it. I think the thing with Derrick Henry, by the way, he might just be waiting for like a stunning reveal of his quads. Like he might end up being, would anyone be surprised if he was like the quad final boss? And like he's letting, <laughs> yeah, the, right, right. He's yeah. letting the, like the, the lesser dungeon bosses have their quad fun for now. And then, you know, like July 20th, it just pops up with the selfie of the most intimidating quads any human has ever seen that could be happening with Derrick Henry. The Dylan thing is fascinating to me because obviously we're used to two man backfields with Aaron Jones, but like where the threat would seem to come from AJ Dillon, the immediate threat I should say would be the goal line short yardage carries. But Aaron Jones has been one of the best goal line backs in the NFL, you know, over the past two seasons. So that's kind of where this situation gets kind of haywire to me because we've always priced in two man backfields with Aaron Jones, but like, like now we're getting like strength against strength basically. And I really don't know like what the sensible way for this one to play out is, you know, Aaron Jones is one of the best pass catching backs in the NFL. I don't think we have to worry about him losing that role, but I just, I don't know what to make of this because yeah, like where it would make the most sense to get AJ Dillon immediately involved is an area where Aaron Jones is also elite, Uh, at least, you know, maybe. uh, So I just don't know. This has been a really tough one for me. Like what the appropriate, uh, AJ Dillon ADP should be. Yeah, really tough one. And that's such a good point that there has always been a bit more of a tandem than people like to think about in Green Bay. I mean, literally every single year you'll get Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, uh, fantasy managers complaining about Jamal Williams every single year. And it's like, well, you should, like you said, you should have known this is going to be <laughs> yeah. a thing. This is always going to be a part of the equation. Uh, Jamal Williams, 148 touches, 146, 150 the last three years. But completely different style uh, than A.J. Dillon, as you mentioned. Like, Jamal Williams and the reason that he keeps popping up in these stories about the Detroit coaching staff, and, I mean, these guys, they they got to even be, like, the biggest cats when it comes to this, is, like, he's a coaching catnip guy, you know, because of his pass-blocking skills, because of his uh, just really reliable nature all around. Dillon is more of, like, a high-variance player, definitely not, like, a guy that I'm, I'm thinking is going to be out there as a pass-blocker, you know? I don't think he's going to be in that part of the game. But maybe, as you mentioned, we see Dillon on, on goal-line situations, even though Jones has been awesome there. Uh, also I would typically, you know, he would, could be that like fourth quarter pounding back. Like maybe that's really, and I I mean, you think about like guys like Aaron Nagler who cover the Packers and stuff like that, uh, fanatically, if I, if I might add with Aaron Nagler, like he, he's always been, um, saying that, that people will love AJ Dillon when he starts rumbling in the cold there in in Lambeau. And like, we kind of saw that a little bit against Derrick Henry (laughs) and, and, and the Titans. So there's sort of that sneak preview of it. And I do think it makes sense as a fit there for him to be sort of that closer back. 
Yeah, I mean, it's insane. Of course, his like one extended 2020 chance was like too good to be true, like too Green Bay cliche, like a night game in the snow and just like running over people like straight up. Yeah. So talk yeah. about wetting the appetite. And I guess that is a really good uh, you know, a team where if Aaron Rodgers comes back, will normally be playing with a lead in the second half. And I guess maybe that is the biggest threat to Aaron Jones is like the clock killing put this guy in there against the tired defense. And, and like, I'm sounding like an old school coach and just have them have him run them over. And maybe that is because in the goal line too, though, I guess, I mean, it'd be insane to think AJ Dillon, if he's going to be involved in the offense, like isn't going to get goal line opportunities. So there's a threat yeah. there, but then yeah, the biggest threat I had, honestly, yeah, you might be right. It might be closeout mode. Yeah. Maybe he's just one of these, you know, hashtag better in best ball picks at this point. Like, you know, he's going to have some big weeks. You also, there's the upside that if anything ever happened to Aaron Jones, and this is a guy who has stayed reasonably healthy uh, for, for running back uh, sensibilities has, in terms has. of Aaron Jones, but also has, has logged a lot of touches recently. Like you never know anything, anything can happen to running backs at any point. Right. So Dylan does have a lot of, uh, upside in that way i think we're just all kind of wondering is is he more of just a traditional running back insurance pick or is there some standalone value that part i haven't quite worked out in my head just yet on the detroit lions part of it i feel like i gotta i gotta take everybody's temperature on this uh, that comes on the podcast even if i wasn't intending to or whatever but you know anthony lynn again is out there saying today like we're going to use a hot hand approach after calling jamal williams an a type of back which i think if you parse it people are literally out there in the streets, like parsing out, well, Josh Kelly was his a back in, you know, in, in, in uh, LA last year. And maybe Josh Kelly would have been good if Josh Kelly didn't stink. Jamal Williams doesn't stink. We know that um, sort of kind of whatever people were parsing out this thing so much, but you know, and then again, Anthony Lynn says it again today. Like I said, handcuff situation, Dan Campbell says that we're interested in Todd Gurley. We're talking to Todd Gurley. We'll see if something works out there. My take on this all along has been, Good. Like, let let the Lions save you people from yourselves. Like, running back 16, uh, you know, ADP for DeAndre Swift is crazy for a back that this coaching staff and organization wasn't invested in. Oh, and by the way, is going to play for a team that might score. I mean, people are going to be sick of me saying this by the end of the, the summer, but, like, he's going to play for a team that might score, like, 20, 25 touchdowns. I thought you were going to say 20 to 25 points a game. I was like, oh, we'll see. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, have, yeah, I mean, so many thoughts. Like, first, uh, it, DeAndre Swift is like, he's already somehow in the typecast zone, which is so frustrating. Someone I thought was maybe honestly the best back in the twenty nine or the 2020 class. And but, like the second you get like that change of pace or like pass catching scarlet letter earlier in your career, it doesn't matter like like it's like it doesn't matter what coaching staff gives that to you it seems like each successive staff ref will refuse to remove that and i just really hope we're not getting deandre swift like already in the duke johnson zone and uh, i was i will say too that, that anthony lynn could he could make it a little less it is confusing nomenclature you have to at least give it that with the a back stuff like even yes. if it's like oh it's, it's not like an order thing that's just you know like, like the literal name Maybe that's the case, but it is uh, very, very confusing. You're right. Yeah, because I hear A. I'm like, A, first letter of the alphabet. I mean, it first makes a lot letter, of sense. First learning back. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we've been doing the alphabet <laughs> thing for quite some time at this point. Like, A, A back, first letter of the alphabet, first le first running back on the depth chart. Well, not so, not so fast. It actually is uh, this whole his situation that he's got going on there. I do actually think the Austin Eckler, you know, to – Josh Kelly or Justin Jackson or even Melvin Gordon back in the day, like that comparison 
does actually kind of bring some clarity to the whole a back b back thing like i guess the b back is better in fantasy really if you want to think about it that way which would be deandre swift i don't i don't know i just i guess he could have a a a pass catching floor but it's just tough to imagine there being any sort of ceiling to this pick i I just feel like he's in that area of the drafts where i'm probably going to tell you forget about running back and just try to take a wide receiver there I think so, too, because it's hard to even sell, like, well, they'll be playing from behind a lot. So, you know, DeAndre Swift will at least be on the field a lot. It's like the comeback mode, pass catching back, because that's like an area where Jamal Williams is very good, too. Yeah, I mean, yep. I, not, not nearly as much upside as DeAndre Swift in that, but like a role he has comfortably played. And so it is hard to find things to cling to for the DeAndre Swift positivity, which is because like the hype around DeAndre Swift like isn't made up it's not manufactured he's a very very like good running back prospect and it's just such a shame that as seems to always happen with these guys we are in this situation of already like despair and hopelessness after one year yeah when you said Duke Johnson I was, was like oh, oh god almighty I shouldn't have said like, that out loud yeah that was <laughs> tough like you put the, if that ends up happening you put that on him all right Bill, I didn't put that on him that's a, that's the Pat Doherty thing there all right let's let's move into the meat of of this uh, particular entree here Pat like I said ranked all 32 head coaches in the league uh he, he does this every year it's an awesome piece you should check it out pat's a great writer in addition to a great uh football thoughtsman thoughtsman is a thing that i just made up right now on the on the on the spot i went through and bolded some guys that i think are interesting um but just first off uh what were your kind of general takeaways ranking the coaches this year well my takeaway every year is that the rankings framework itself is like unfortunate, but a necessary evil. Like the whole point of it is like take stock of like where these coaches are like right now, like where their team is right now. Like I understand why people want the ranks, why they want to debate the ranks. But to me, it, it is obviously more about the write up and just trying to like take stock of the situation and wishing that like it didn't have to be so much about the numbers. And my take specifically to this year was, I think it's definitely like the the best group there's ever been. Like there are still bad coaches, but they don't stick out quite as much as they did in the past. Like so, I have the the worst coach in the NFL right now is, is Zach Taylor on the Bengals, and I don't know if he's the worst coach in the NFL. Like no one knows. We don't know if he's the best coach, the worst coach in the we middle. We barely know he's what just, the guy looks like, Pat. We barely know exactly, what the guy looks like. Exactly. And like this is the first year, like in a really long time, where there was not like an obvious. Matt Patricia, an obvious Jeff Fisher, someone at the bottom, you know, an obvious Adam Gase, where teams are getting much smarter. They, we make fun of people for like looking for the next Sean McVay, but it's better to be trying to find the next Sean McVay than like as I say in the article, being John Fox's fourth employer. So <laughs> the hiring process is getting better. The crop is just deeper than it's ever been. And like there was no one this year who I wanted to call like the worst coach in the NFL. I just someone has to be last and it is uh, Zach Taylor since I know yeah I don't know I could probably if you put up a picture of him I'm like yeah that's Zach Taylor I think um but yeah I know nothing about Zach Taylor do you Pat are you a golfer at all I am not no I'm a I'm a receives texts about golf from my dad or so like on the weekends you know if one of like the you know, like Brooks is like, you know, storming ahead on Saturday. I'll get texts about that. But no, I, I, I have not spent much time at golf courses. 
Yeah, my mom was a big golfer, so I unfortunately and I I, I can't stand golfing because I can't stand to do something that pisses me off for like hours and hours <laughs> at a time. And for the people, and I mean, I love to be outside slamming beers, but I'd rather be outside slamming beers like anywhere else, but doing something that irritates me for hours at a time. But my mom's a big golfer, so I was gonna. The only reason I say this is like if you visualize like a driving range at the local country club or whatever, and there's like three or four basic whites in a polo. If you just sub those like country club polos out for a Bengals polo, like that is Zach Taylor, basically. That's what true. I'm and uh, so not, this. not to sidetrack us too much either too. Go- I just, by the way, I literally don't even have a golf swing. Like I've played golf so infrequently. I do go to the driving range like once a year, but I'm like, I would make Charles Barkley basically look like Tiger Woods with my form. <laughs> like I don't have a golf swing despite being a 34 year old man. Yeah, I have golf clubs, uh, but you know, don't haven't used them in a thousand years. They're actually building a top a top golf. I don't know if you know anything. Well, I were way. Off I do. Right I now, do but, know. Yeah, I mean, top golf. You know, it's even in St. Louis, uh, we, nice. we got our top golf. So yeah, they're building one in El Segundo right here where I live, like right down the way. So I might have to re might have to dust off uh, the the golf swing because that's actually fun. No one cares about this. So let, let me get back into the whole uh, the whole coaching rank thing. I agree with you. Like we really did do a good job this year. Of slicing off kind of the riffraff you know with Adam Gase <laughs> and Matt Patricia like the the bottom dwellers the punching bags of the league because that was one of my takeaways too is like there are a lot of a lot of really good coaches it was tough to tough to rank some of these guys one guy that really sort of stuck out to me in that way when I'm looking at your list at first I'm like Ron Rivera at 17 like that seems really low for a very successful guy and for someone that seems like he's sort of doing potentially the impossible and like correcting the culture in Washington. I mean, talk to me in three years when Dan Snyder's like, you know, dragged his name through the mud and out of town or whatever. But like, it seems low for a guy like Ron Rear. But then I start stacking up the, the names that are right in front of him. Kevin Stefanski, awesome first year. Like Talk about a change of culture guy. Brian Flores, Mike Vrabel, Mike Zimmer, Matt LaFleur. That was one that really sort of Ron Rivera stuck out to me at that point. Like, seems low for him, but good coach. Like, it's a good... These are good. These are good coaches in front of him too. Yeah, Ron Rivera is a really tough one because he's like a very high baseline coach. Um, and not that coaches are ever going to be the one like really providing ceiling for their teams, but like Ron, I feel like he's like a baseline guy, and that like, and you can definitely have ceiling seasons under him. You can have a fifteen and one season under him. Right. Like him, if we're like really splitting hairs, like him more than other, he'll he would need like you know superstar talent like you had in Carolina for those years like put him over the top. Whereas he's not so much like a Kyle Shanahan where like he can like, uh, not that Ron Rivera is a very good coach, but he's not someone who's going to be like maximum scheming his team, you know, to like perfection and that kind of thing. So, cause that was, that's a real tough place, part of the board, so to speak, where you have a really amazing first year from Kevin Stefanski. You have Matt Nagy, who I have one spot after Ron Rivera, who, who, I mean, a guy that is kind of a punching bag has made the playoffs twice in three years as a 28 and 20 career record. It was just, it's kind of a part of the board where you're like, yeah, it's like where I don't have like an amazing answer. But like with Ron Rivera, it's just kind of, that's just kind of a very high baseline guy. Someone who immediately do what he did last year, come in and like restore order to your, you like will not be a laughing stock with Ron Rivera, but that he's just going to, he's going to be one of those guys where if you give him the players, he can put it over the top. But he's not going to give it maybe as, as much of a nudge, much of as much of a shove as some other coaches might. 
Yeah, high baseline is a perfect way, I think, of, of talking about Rivera, which is like w- when they hired him, it's like, oh, that makes sense because Washington really just needed to hit like a double or a triple with this one. Like they did not need to go for the grand slam with that. Like they needed that culture builder. I think the best thing, and this is really more of a credit to to Ron as a team builder as opposed to like a traditional coach sense or whatever. I think the best thing that he's done, I mean, I remember his last year in Carolina, maybe last or second to last year in Carolina, they played the the former Washington team when he was with the Panthers and and he said basically like I want to win games like 7 to 6 or whatever and it was like, "Oh, for God's sakes, Ron, it's whatever year it was, like 2018, 2019, like please just 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 kill me you know at this point uh but but i think since then he's really done a pretty good job of like turning things over to scott turner who he brought from carolina to washington and like people don't really think about this with washington but they were an aggressive play calling team last year from a neutral pass game uh situation like they were not this ground and pound play good defense which i think is a credit to rivera as a team builder and part of why i I assume you're like all of us at this point very excited about washington's offense this year yeah, you just made a great point about Ron, too. Like, Ron did everything they could have possibly hoped for from last year. He immediately, you know, he got a huge gift in the number two overall pick in Chase Young, but he immediately took care of his side of the ball. And like you said, a guy who, despite Riverboat moniker, has been kind of a conservative guy over the years in offense, has really given over the offense to Scott Turner. And like you said, like they were his final year in Carolina with Scott Turner, a very up-tempo, like, put the pedal to the metal offense, despite not having good quarterbacks at all. So, like, you know, a lot of times the natural inclination would be like to slow it down as much as possible. And so, yeah, maybe Ron, maybe he's got some new tricks. Maybe the old dog has learned some new tricks uh, for his second stop in Washington. We'll see. Like I said, probably hitting a double there with Ron Rivera. So I think after observation, that makes uh, a ton of sense. You still, for, for, for the folks that are really just into rankings, and I love your point about like, the point of this is really like to analyze these coaches and to sort of take stock of where they are and what they bring to the table. But listen, clicks, baby, you know, like we all, yeah, we, <laughs> we, and like, I, I think hard about the ranks too. I'm not just Absolutely. like, they're not like an afterthought. Cause I know that people will be coming at me. So I do work hard on them. Uh, so yeah, we can talk about the ranks too. We can talk about the raw, the raw clicks. We can get some clicks for this podcast. My point, yeah, my point in all that, like, I remember going back and forth um, with uh, our late friend Chris Wessling about this when he worked at NFL. It was like he would always say, like, I wish, you know, people cared as much about the analysis as about the rankings. My point, when I started doing, like, rankings pieces for NFL, and I still do a lot of, like, rankings, but, like, top 10 type of whatever pieces for Yahoo, like, even if people don't understand, like, why they are ranked this way, even if, like, you're just talking about, it, like, a stat, like, a, an unarguable stat, my point to, to Chris and to others was, like, yeah, but that's why they have us write these pieces every year, man, <laughs> like, because they end up doing well for the, for the website. You have Bill Belichick at number one. Bold. Brett. Our yeah, bold bull call. Our producer Brett had an interesting point about this to to me, which was Bill Belichick's top spot. Number one is the seven and nine last year, just a testament to how good he is, because that was like an almost unwatchable offense, like ninety five percent, a non week two against Seattle, like ninety five percent of the time. Um, what if you replaced Belichick with a Kevin Stefanski, Ron Rivera, Matt Nagy, that sixteen to eighteen zone? How much better? how much worse would the Patriots have been last year with the, even a co- like a baseline coach like that? Well, I don't think they would have beaten the chargers 45 to nothing. So that's like kind of the deal with Bill Belichick. where like, even when like everything is going wrong, 
mean, you know they're going to be schemed up. You know they're going to be ready to play. And even at, like, their lowest talent ebb in year – and, like, a talent ebb that was hurt, too. But, like, they had a lot of opt-outs on defense last year. Yeah. Like, he could still, like, put together a perfect game plan. And, like, they had a few of those weeks last year. Like you said, that, that the Seahawks thriller. The game against the Chiefs was okay until Brian Hoyer – uh, I believe started playing like a mannequin basically. Oh, and like, yeah. So he was still, they were still, uh, and to use the num the old school nomenclature, very fundamentally sound last year. Uh, but yeah, it was the lowest talent, uh, probably ever. And probably, uh, I don't, we're not going to see that repeated. And I think that, yeah, this would have, even with a promising young coach, like it would have been a considerably work, probably like a three and 13, a four and 12 type situation because there's just no talent on offense. And like the talent on defense was just very diminished and kind of no one other than like Bill, the Bill Belichick's of the world could have schemed that team up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, rounding out the rest of your top five, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, John Harbaugh, Sean McVay, like Andy Reid, John Harbaugh. We know what the deal is with those guys. I don't think anybody will argue those two names there. I don't think anybody really argue Sean Payton, but the two Sean's here. Peyton and McVeigh, both these guys are kind of like at crossroads or, or like inflection points of their career. I feel like in a weird way, this is Peyton's first inflection point in his Saints tenure. And this feels like at least the second inflection point in Sean McVeigh's tenure as the Rams head coach. Sticking on Peyton, though. So obviously, huge bump, right? The Saints always get a bump because Peyton is there. I cannot get my head around how to feel about the Saints this year from a team perspective and especially an offense perspective in fantasy because I always talk about wanting to get players from good ecosystems. The Saints always are a good ecosystem because Peyton is the be- third best coach in, in the league per per your rankings. I think for everybody, like he's one of the infallible. best infallible, the infallible <laughs> Pat Torty rankings. Um, but everybody would argue he's one of the best offensive play callers in the NFL, but like I don't think Jameis Winston's a good quarterback. Like, I don't think he's just going to suddenly, like, he's going to be pretty good for fan. He can be pretty good for fantasy, but like, I don't think he's going to flip the switch to the point that like, now he's a competent, like steady guy that runs Peyton's system. At the same time, like look back at some of these saints offenses before Breeze's arm started falling off. And like, they was just throwing, which I, I think the whole slant boy thing with Michael Thomas is more of a Drew Brees thing than a Michael Thomas thing, but that's a whole nother discussion. That's interesting. Um, but like they used to be more of like a vertical passing game or at least like vertical shots over the middle off play action. Like can Winston do that? Pat, help me out. What how, what do I do with the damn Saints this year? Yeah, they used to be they, you know, they used to have like the Devry Henderson role. You know, like yes. the, they were like one of the most famous like having like a role playing deep threat. Even Ted Ginn recently. Ted Ginn. Yeah, so that was just a recent development where that left their offense and I I mean I agree uh, that Peyton is like the most fascinating in, in the top 5 this year because I mean, just like Bill Belichick last year, this is going to be the first year he does this without his quarterback. And, like, he's so synonymous. Like, I'm, I'm kind of repeating some stuff I said in the article, but Sean Payton was, like, at the vanguard of, like, this new, like, com- kind of like what I call, like, completions at all costs. Off- like, this efficiency, yes. com- move the chains, complete passes. Even though he likes to- their best years, they always ran a very balanced offense. Like he was a, a, one of the the key figures in ushering in this like era of hyper passing efficiency, and like you said, like they don't have either of that on the roster right now. And I, I think I, with Sean McVay, I, I'm kind of like projecting. I think he's though like part of his great. I think he will be willing to adapt. I think he is already adapting. Where I, I think we're gonna get kind of like the more college approach, where we're gonna get 
like a kind of a true two quarterback system because mm. for, if he's willing to use Taysom Hill that much when he has one of the greatest quarterbacks in league history under center and Drew Brees, we know Taysom's role is not going to be getting smaller this year. Like th- that's just one thing we know for sure about the Saints. Like Taysom Hill's yeah. role will not be smaller, but I do think Jameis Winston will be the starter. But I think Sean, so Sean ushered in one era. I think he might be trying to like usher in something new again, where he's going to try to do like the real college thing and have like Jameis Winston kind of mostly control the business between the twenties and then go like full turbo Taysom Hill in the red zone. I gotta, I gotta tell you, man, two things. Number one, I'm going to steal like two, two of these things from you in this thing that you just <laughs> said here. I'm going to totally make a meme. <laughs> yeah, but like completions at all costs. I'll remember to cite to cite you on this. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully, I even remember to say it. Like, that's, there's no guarantee that I'm gonna remember this like 15 minutes from now. But like, the completions at all costs is literally the Saints' offense the last couple of years. Like the way that they played, nothing real dangerous about that passing game. And like I said, I think that's more of a breeze thing the last couple of years than anything else. I, we've, his arm was just clearly declining and quickly to the point that last year was so obvious by the end. Um, and, and number two, like I, the fact that you brought up the two quarterback system, who knows if that actually happens, but like that to me, it would totally mess things up for fantasy and yada, yada, yada. People oh boy. What did I that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- then like Peyton is going to go from like the third, the third coach in your rankings to like the third most hated coach on fantasy <laughs> yes. Twitter, you know, or something well, like already that. Already kind of happening. Yeah. Like, True. Like, and to, I, I could be, I mean, I could be direly wrong about this. And they, but they might I think be. it's the best. I think it's the best thing for the Saints. It could potentially be the most interesting thing for the Saints. Like, and by the way, they have five prime. I keep talking about this probably on every podcast too. Five primetime games this year. Like, if Winston's oh, bad or Taysom's bad, like they're going to be, you know, the 2020 Bears level of like, God, they're say, they'll be fun bad again. though. They'll be fun. Jameis Winston and Taysom, those are fun, bad players when they're going poorly. Whereas with the Bears, there was never anything fun about Mitchell Trubisky. There's never, there's no such thing as fun, bad Nick Foles. So it could at least maybe save us with some fun, bad in prime time. It's true. Yeah, we'll we'll see. No, I think I do think that that actually could be a potentially really interesting outcome for the Saints. Uh, Sean McVay, he I think doesn't get. There's sort of like the whispers are starting to crop up of like Sean McVay is an overrated coach or whatever. By the way, like. They've done nothing but win games since he got there. So there is that. I also think he's made good decisions with his hires, which is an underrated part for for coaches. We don't think about it as much, but like hires Wade Phillips, moves on from Wade Phillips at the right time. Sort of made it like an old, old, uh, old boys club hire with Raheem Morris as this run a defensive coordinator because like they know each other from the Bucks days. Actually, I was listening to the podcast he's doing with Peter Schrager right now, and I think Raheem Morris actually fired him in Tampa Bay. <gasps> I didn't like, know that. <laughs> I, I, he, he, he told the story of like, yeah, so when Raheem Morris took the team over, he actually fired McVay in Tampa Bay. And now, so maybe actually that's like not not an old boys club hire. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. It's like almost sort of the, they have a connection, but not always a good one there. Not a good uh, but one. anyways, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. So uh, either way, he's made good hires on that side of the ball, all while growing like a coaching tree on the offensive side of the ball. But this Rams team has looked very, very different over the last like four years that he's been there every year it's seemingly seen beside the first two were pretty static in terms of what it was but I think he's done a pretty good job of adjusting since then and now he's basically like okay I'm done with this Jared Goff guy like let me bring in Matt Stafford to um, I think Jordan Rodriguez from the athletic put it as like activate all eligible receivers or be able to attack every blade of grass is the terminology that they've used out of LA where are you at with this Rams uh, team this year because 
I, don't, I just wrote about them for the website today. And I, I really feel like they're, I really feel like I'm starting to buy in on the high end of their range of outcomes, mostly because of McVay. No, yeah, I am too. And like, I'm getting a lot, I'm getting that, what you said were kind of whispers has been like shouts and my mentions on Twitter, the like Sean McVay is overrated. Like their offense has been exposed, you know, and like, there's like an element of truth to that, that their offense got figured out the past two years. So then what did he do? He schemed around it and found a guy to coordinate. I think it was they number one. I think they might've allowed the fewest yards in the league last year. So like he, unbelievable. he, he'd run out of patience with Jared Goff. The system had kind of been figured out with Jared Goff. So then he did what he can. He created the best defense he's ever had. He's man. He like schemed around Jared Goff, you know, got, Cam Akers looking like almost like an Adrian Petersonian type talent down the stretch last year, did the best he could with what he had made the divisional round, even though his offense had been figured out. And then he, he moves on after the year and finally gets like a, no offense to Jared Goff, but gets a real quarterback, someone who won't need to have his hand held down the field. And like, that's a great phrase actually can like reactivate every level of the field. So like, I think like Sean Payton, yeah, like agreed with that, that they had become too predictable too easy to defend. So yeah, he schemed around it while he still had to have Jared Goff on the roster. And then he aggressively addressed that obvious weakness. And you know, that's what, like, what great coaches do. And I mean, Jared, I, I don't see any way you can like seriously true Sean McVay and just like every year is something new. He's figuring just like complacency is not an option, you know? And like, I, I do think after four years, like he is like truly the real deal. Yeah, right. I mean, just for some some points on uh, how good his offenses have been, McVay's Rams have ranked top 12 in yards all four years of his tenure, top 12 in points, three out of the four, the obvious outlier being last year when I think I think the league figured out Jared Goff for the most yes. part and figured out the best ways to take him away. And I think the thing that really just like we're talking about active or be able to hit every blade of grass on the field, Goff... <laughs> Goff threw 20 plus yards down the field on just 7.5% of his throws last year or 7.8% of his throws last year, 71.5 passer rating. Matthew Stafford like led the league in air yards two years ago, had a over, had a triple, yeah, triple digit passer rating. It led the league in air yards when he was healthy a couple of years ago. And then obviously had like a huge, great pass rating last year. And the, the lack of play action that Matthew Stafford has had in his offense is obviously going to totally reverse now in McVay's system. I can't wait to see what this offense looks like. I love that you brought up Kim Akers too. I, I I'm really tempted to rank him as like my RB five this year and, and like log out. Yeah. I I thought he was, he was seriously like dragon dudes last year. I thought like early career, Adrian Peterson towards the end of the season. And like what you said with golf too, like golf, like needed like a permission slip to go down the field. Whereas like Stafford, like actively hunts that out. And it's like mm-hmm. clearly what Sean McVay was like tired of and wanted to change. Let's go into a couple of lower ranked guys that I want to ask you about. Um, we've had our fun at the top of the list. Let's go down to the basement here. Number 19, Matt Rule. First year, right? So, I mean, whatever. Like, being 19th after your first year is is fine. Like, one thing that I kind of, like, don't really get with the Matt Rule Panthers, the Joe Brady uh, offense and I think Joe Brady was an off, awesome offensive coordinator last year. I think that that was a that was a good offense. Like got the most out of Teddy Bridgewater. Um, obviously, like the one thing that sticks in my craw with with those guys, and this is I'm going to bring the same point up with Mike McCarthy too. Just just like my receiver bias, whatever. I really feel like they kind of they stuck DJ Moore in this weird downfield receiver role. That was strange to me. Like Robbie Anderson was kind of 
like their layup guy. They really relegated Curtis Samuel to like a gadget role. I, I just feel like it wasn't the best use of personnel. I don't know whether to put that on rule or or Joe Brady or if I should just like not even worry about it because like now they'll take Terrace. Morgan. I think figuring out what the Panthers are going to do at wide receiver this year in terms of deployment is like really key to unlocking all of those guys. But um, where are you at with Matt Rule in terms of a guy that like was brought in with a lot of hype and a lot of cash too? Yeah, so like the DJ Moore, like Robbie Anderson role reversal, by the way, that, that, that did almost feel like something they were like doing, like just because they could. Like, yeah. I mean, it was it was a strange deployment, I thought, but I mean, I guess it mostly worked. Um, right. So yeah. What what I, like so basically, yeah, in the article, like the joke I make is that it, it's they feel to me like a Silicon Valley startup where like they're like generating like all this goodwill, they're giving like all these flashy quotes like saying all the right things, you know, getting like so much positive press, like, you know, aligning themselves as like the analytics franchise and that kind of thing. And it's like giving themselves like a cutting edge feel. Um, and, and that's fine. And like, uh, like the process seems very good. The results were fine for the first year, but yeah, I mean, it was still five and 11 and like, it's like any startup, like it needs more and more money. Like they're not out of like their money raising phase and we're nowhere close to the final form of this. And, like I don't know if like Sam Darnold's like the the like the the best 2.0 version for this because so it's weird cause, you know like the stat that keeps getting cited is like Joe Brady you know like everyone in the offense posted career highs and like yardage last year but you know they were still bottom 12 in like yards and scoring and so like that's cool they like, get all these like personal bests and like a lot of that probably is just because Christian McCaffrey doesn't play the whole season too. So it's just kind of, it was like very, very flashy and not necessarily like a bad way. Like th- it definitely seemed to be like some truth to like some of the, the things they were saying, like they're going to do things differently and this do things in a modern way. But it was just basically like far from case closed and it could still end up just being more like, like empty quotes, more than like a real like changing of the guard type situation. And just basically like they're saying all the right things, the all the right things that could follow but like we are still definitely in process phase and not results phase. Well, I think that the whole idea of a Silicon Valley like startup, it's like all the investors put all this, you know, they raise all this VC money and then they come up with an app. And you flip like, it. Yeah, 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 right. You come up, but you come up with like an app that like, who? No one's ever going to download that. Like, who's ever going to use that? Like, what a stupid idea. Same thing with like, like you said. Oh man, like all these great flashy things. Like if we just get a quarterback in here, like all of these guys that we got career years out of last year, we can take that thing to the next level. Cause I mean, I think we, I agree with them on the most part about their Teddy Bridgewater evaluation. They might've needed some foresight to see this coming. That would have been nice. But like, I'm yeah. Like when I'm back watching Panthers receivers and stuff with Teddy Bridgewater, I'm always like late, late, late. Like not even just the fact that he keeps it short. It's like, we know that part about Teddy, but it's like, come on, man. Like, let's let's get this ball out. Like, let's get let's get this to the right. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. It's a tough watch. But then the answer to that is like Sam Darnold. I know. Uh, I know. It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. I mean, I guess we're just I guess they're making like the instead of betting on the, like the hard ceiling, which we know Teddy Bridgewater's ceiling is as firmly established like as anyone's football I guess just bet on the un, the untapped upside still in theory. Man, a guy who had more interceptions and touchdowns last year as his third year as starter, it does seem like an interesting place for like the league's trendiest coaching staff to to, to plant its flag. So yeah, we'll see. I've been astounded at like how they've managed to position themselves. It's like we are the analytics franchise, 
and it's kind of based on nothing other than quotes, basically. Um, so they've, they've yeah. done so well at branding themselves. So maybe they're, they're going to pump up this valuation and then he's going to flip it for a high-end college job. That's my new, the, the Matt Rule theory. He's going to leave for like go. an elite SEC job after two years or something. I There you go. I think that really completes the uh, Silicon Valley like investors <laughs> analogy. Yeah, we, we took that analogy pretty far. So <laughs> We did. Yeah, that was all you on that one. I take no credit for that. Um, number 20 right behind Matt Rule is Mike McCarthy. Man, I mean – we're all excited about the Dallas offense, right? I'm excited about the Dallas offense. Like we all want to see what Dak, you know, was doing in the first five weeks of the season. We want to see that over. We're not going to see that over a full course of a season, but we want to see something similar to that. And the one thing I come, keep coming back to, and again, this is another receiver dork thing that, that I, I get irritated about is like, man, CD lamb was awesome last year, but why did you never like, take him out of the slot like why did you never put cooper inside or why did you only have Gallup running vertical routes as the x receiver like man if they just move these guys around if they were just more creative we could really be looking at something special here with the dallas offense but like now i'm asking mike mccarthy to be innovative and creative like i think we all know we got bamboo i mean he literally like basically said he bamboozled uh the the cowboys into thinking that he was like innovative taking all those PR PFF trips. Yes. I don't think this is coming. No, so it's weird. so like, it, and, and so in some ways, it's like people are complaining to me about having Joe Judge twenty third, even though the write up was positive. Uh, I think people, you, you could be complaining to me about Mike McCarthy, a guy over like a twenty year sample size has won almost sixty percent of his games, and we know that it's like Aaron Rodgers and all that. You can't separate that. The, uh, like, uh, how, how do you separate the coach from the quarterback? But like, I feel like people should be complaining about the disrespect I'm giving Mike McCarthy. But so, yeah, part like he had gotten stale in Green Bay. No one cares about uh, Mike McCarthy, though. That's the thing. No, I know it's the thing. It's the thing. <laughs> so he got stale in Green Bay. Uh, you said there was just like kind of there was some stale aspects last year too, but it wasn't all talk. Like they they went they I think they attempted maybe partly because they were bad. I think they had the second most fourth down attempts last year. They really increased their two point attempts. Despite running too much in first down, so they did run less on third on first down. Uh, they stayed like top two or three in tempo and pace. So they were trying to do things like the an- analytically approved way. But I just like how long can Mike McCarthy stick with that? Like if things go sideways yeah. again to begin this season, will he really be able to stick with that? And what I just keep coming back to is like I write this in the article too. Like instead of like counting on Mike McCarthy like reinventing himself why not just like try something new, like have someone invent something new. Why count on this guy who was like the definition of stale by the time his integrity, well, why count on that guy to like reinvent himself to lead your football team. And I just, there was, it's just such a low upside hire that I just, I just, I still don't really know why this was like the Cowboys big gambit after 10 years in the Jason Garrett wilderness. And Jason Garrett, by the way, is like, a, you know, real connective tissue there with the Joe Judge thing. Like maybe that if you could really criticize, I don't know if you brought this up, uh, like in your, if you had this I actually did your thought process. I like could have brought that, up Jason Garrett, but I, I was nice and I didn't. The fact that Joe Judge like hires Jason Garrett as his offensive coordinator. I mean, like I said, with Sean McVay, like making good assistant hires is like the most underrated part of a head coach's job. That was Joe Judge's answer for offensive coordinator. Not a good idea. Not a good. Not great. Joe Judge. I mean, I'll just talk about Joe Judge real quick. Like, uh, so the the, the crux of my write up was like Joe Judge. I was very skeptical about because he was he was Mister Bits guy. He was Mister Memes guy. All the old school. You can't get your name on your jersey. 
we're going to be practicing so hard in the summer, like blah, 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 all that. But like, he surprised me in some ways where it seemed like he did kind of successfully instill that hard nosed attitude while like the player seemed to genuinely like him. It didn't seem to be like a Matt Patricia type situation where they like bristled at it. Like it seemed like they bought in. Uh, they played by far their best football in the second half of the season, you know, finished five and three after a one and seven start. Uh, you know, he's ostensibly an offensive mind, I guess, after coaching wide receivers for one year, but like, in a year where like scoring exploded all over the league, the, the Giants allowed almost a hundred fewer points. So like there were definitely like Joe Judge, he did a lot better than I was expecting. I was expecting like a full on tire fire with Joe Judge, and uh, he did some interesting things. Kind of surprised me a bit. But, like okay, it's one year. He's six and ten. Even if he exceeded my expectations a little bit, like how high am I supposed to rank that guy who goes six and ten one year? You know, so that's why that's why the ranking is twenty three. But I tried to contextualize it. Like, listen, yeah, I was I was a hater, I was a doubter, but he surprised me. Well, context doesn't always land in these no. in these pieces, unfortunately. And it seems that Giants Twitter has has found you and has a few things. They have. Say. They are. They are honestly. They are hopping mad. Like hopping, hopping mad. I think I think they feel from the the temperature that I get from from Giants Twitter online is like they I bet they feel just more like we have a third year quarterback we exceeded expectations last year we made all these big moves this year Dave Gettleman traded down for God's sakes give him some credit like <laughs> they feel like if you just took all of the names out of it there and like just the the tropes of it all yes, third year exactly. quarterback new weapons like you know exceeded expectations last year take all the names off it just the tropes those are like the tropes of a breakout team but nobody is hyping them that way so they're probably just pissed that they're not getting the credit that they feel that they should get even when undeserved teams get that like if daniel i don't know i mean daniel jones so many turnovers and so few starts did, I can't, it, did, I can't. did he improve in any area last year like did he improve no, in a single area so. last year right he's on the darnell and, diet He's on the eternal diet, and I th- I feel like there's a case that they that you could be made that he's quote this year's Josh Allen because get him a big time wide receiver like and he just suddenly becomes good. I don't know. I feel like we had a lot more high high moments from Josh Allen and a lot more like bottom basement moments from Josh Allen than maybe Daniel Jones. But again, Daniel Jones like can't stop fumbling the damn ball. Like no. I mean, un- like what is it? It's like twenty. I think it's twenty nine fumbles in in two years. It's and more than a normal like 20, amount of fumbles. That's in 26 <laughs> starts. And I believe it's like 20 something interceptions or something like that in, in 26 starts. So, I mean, I know it is. I'm pretty sure it's 51 combined interceptions and fumbles in two, in two seasons, 26 career starts. That's a lot. I mean, that's yeah, just a lot there. There's no way to get around that. And, so. that they, and that's the whole case for Daniel Jones is like the, the surprising third year breakout, you know, it's usually the second year breakout. It doesn't happen for everyone happened the third year breakout with Josh Allen bigger than I could have ever expected. And that is kind of just like the case for Daniel Jones, like the random third year breakout. Yeah. But, whereas like you said, though, the physical tools, nothing similar to Josh Allen. Really. I mean, not that Daniel Jones is an impressive athlete, but I mean, we're not like the high end runner, not like the top one percentile arm of Josh Allen. Like yeah. you are really, really banking on something that does not happen very often with Daniel Jones. Also, Brian Dayball runs one of the most progressive offenses in the NFL yes. last year. I just don't feel like we're going to see that with Jason Garrett. Like, with for all the things I could complain about the Giants, like the thing I come back to the most that, that I have the most pause with is Jason Garrett. And it, whether it's like, oh, 
projecting projecting Kadarius Tony to be a successful NFL player. Like I think even all the questions I have for him, I think there's a chance like some coach could do that. I just don't think it's going to be Jason Garrett. That's my that's my one big thing. Yeah, he's um, the guy whose owner the owner stripped his own head coach of play calling duties like two years into his head coaching tenure. That's probably all we need to know about Jason Garrett's play calling ability. I would say so. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, twenty one on your list. I mean, is any coach fall I don't know fallen from grace is is the word for it but like came in with a lot of like there was obviously some skepticism because his resume wasn't great and like was he just getting the Sean McVay glow but is Cliff like I mean I feel feels like the the narrative around Cliff is like unless the Cardinals like win a playoff game or something or go to the playoffs like he's going to be out of there at the end of this year that seems pretty quick considering this was a t- like I feel I feel as if the Cliff doesn't get it in a weird way I've almost become like a Cliff apologist because like I feel like we don't get it's because Kyler Murray instantly was the guy right like was the dude he is that guy for the Cardinals that it seems as if now we're not giving enough credit to like this seems so bad before Cliff Kingsbury got there I mean they were yes. picking number one in the NFL and were absolutely lifeless and the roster really isn't that different I mean now it is because they have like the retirement home down there in Arizona with JJ Watt and AJ Green and all these guys but like it's different now, but last year really wasn't that that different from the year that they were a hideous operation. Yeah, it's weird because, like, like you said, like Cliff, the hiring was kind of first guessed because, like, of this guy who had like a 500 record in the Big 12. Like, why would you ever do this? And I think the reason the like uh, the second guessing has begun so quickly with Cliff is because he's like doing poorly. The areas where he seems to be doing the most poorly are like the areas where we didn't expect him to be doing poorly. Like where is like the vertical passing attack? Yeah. Like such a horizontal passing attack and like just so little going on downfield. And, you know, like the, the infamous, you know, factoid from last year about what keeping Deandre Hopkins on the same side of the formation was like 90% of the time or something. So he's doing poorly in areas where like we, we at least expected like vertical fireworks all the time. And, we're not yeah. getting that. And so he's doing poorly in areas where we didn't expect him to do poorly. But it's weird because he's designed an interesting run game. Uh, the defense was like kind of feisty last year and just not being like a super talented defense. Um, you know, like a second year quarterback and they, you almost made the playoffs. So it is true. Like there are like a lot of things for like him to hang his hat. He, you know, the awful game, man. Kind of like the Tomlin esque. Awful, game. awful. Yeah. Tom, like, as I said, I lit off my, I lit off my ride. I'm like, he's most famous for kicking when he should go for it and going for it when he should kick it. Like just a horrible game manager of Cliff Kingsbury. So like when you fail, like at a high profile part of coaching like that, and then just when you're not like uh, really exceeding at what you're supposed to be your strengths, like explosive downfield passing, I guess that's why the, the Cliff pitchforks have come out so quickly. You're right. That's a great way of putting it. Like all the things I expected out of him are the things that stink. It's yeah, very, very strange. It's weird. <laughs> um, shout out to us for going, you know, 50 minutes here on this pod and not bagging on John Gruden. And you know what? We're not going to do it now, Raiders fans. We're going to spare you. We're going to last this thing before I let you go here, Pat. Uh, new coaches um, obviously can't quite do the same uh, ranking with them, but let's project into the future here. Say we're doing this exact same exercise. Well, you are. Pat, you're going to be doing this exact same exercise next year. Everything will be the same. Everything will be beautiful. Um, Your life will be great. Maybe we'll be doing it on this podcast. Who knows? I have no idea. But you're going to do this exercise one year in the future. 
Give me two new coaches that you wouldn't be surprised if they pushed to, for top 10 finishes in your head coach ranking and two coaches that you wouldn't be surprised if they were right there, like unseating Zach Taylor for the bottom of this list. It's hard. I don't usually ever push anyone into the top 10 after like one year, but like if you could see someone making like a surprise Super Bowl run, I guess you probably have to say Brandon Staley, who yeah. seems to be one of the, the, the brightest young minds in the entire league. A lot of talent on his side of the ball. Like you can't, can I, can I, even though it was only one year as a defensive coordinator, you can almost have complete confidence in Brandon Staley handling his business on his side of the ball. And then one of the best young building blocks in the entire league on offense, right? You could definitely see the Chargers. I mean, every year, you know, we can always see the Chargers uh, being like one of those teams that takes a big next step. But like the Chargers is very easy to maybe like the most like push play type situation. And then the other one, I think, uh, is Urban Meyer. It's been such a weird offseason for Urban Meyer. So, like, Urban Meyer could go, like, 2-14 and 14 this year. And, like, I would not question that he's one of the greatest football coaches in American history. Like, he's, he's one of the greatest football coaches of all time at any level. And it's, like, it's, he will succeed at the NFL level, like, if he just makes, like, a few minor adjustments, basically. But he's going about it. Like, he, he could have done it the easy way or the hard way. And he's definitely doing it the hard way uh, with yeah. the Tim Tebow, you know, hiring the, the disgraced former strength coach from the university, just doing things he does not need to be doing, like having like this clearly complete belief in his own abilities, which isn't surprising because he is, yeah. like I said, one of the greatest football coaches of all time. But like he's going to have to like discover like the, you know, like the, the, the humility basically and like the patience there's a guy who won 90% of his games at Ohio State, and he still got burned out. Um, so, like, basically, if Urban can do – like, he has the ability, like, zero question. And, of course, even when, though he can't recruit in the NFL, he gets, like, the top prospect, you know, in, like, 10 years to begin his 10 years. So, like, that will give him some breathing. And, you know, a very winnable division. So, like, Urban Meyer, I wouldn't be surprised if, even though he's making, like, everyone, like, the Joker this offseason, if he just hit the ground running. Because he's one of the greatest football minds ever. Yeah, it does feel like he's going about it intentionally the the difficult path. It does. Like bad, it does. Like there there are three the three coaches that stick out to me as like good good vibes going into this year. Like new Arthur Smith, Brandon Staley, Robert Sala. Urban could have been the easy fourth guy for good vibes head coach, <laughs> but he's like now the bat. I mean, other than David Culley with the Texans, like worst vibes among the coaches right now, um, because yeah. of the Tebow thing, because of the Kadarius Tony like Travis Ntn thing. Ooh, that um, was really bad. <laughs> someone's <laughs> got to ask Travis Ntn if they haven't already. Like, dude, what do you think about the fact that like yeah, the, this coach is saying he's going to craft this special role for you, but openly admitted. You weren't the one he wanted in it. <laughs> yeah, that that that's like truly like NFL one oh one. Like we know that we know that after the draft they're lying whenever it's oh, this is who we wanted all along. Uh, but you never, ever, ever admit that. And uh, that yeah, was exactly. maybe the single dumbest soundbite of the entire offseason. Which is which is which is saying something. That is that is saying something. But, I, right, I didn't answer your question real quick. I know we need oh, to yeah. end the pod, but the bottom, you know, David Cully. Like he's just being brought in to be a human shield for like a terrible situation. Uh, like he's like he's basically the man who said he would take the thankless job. And other than that, I mean, I guess maybe Nick Sirianni, who I, my quip about him was sometimes you have to worry about a coach winning the press conference and nothing else. Well, we don't have to worry about that with Nick Sirianni since he lost the press conference. Uh, 
And uh, just another guy, he could be bring, being brought in just to be cannon fodder too for a roster that like really just needs like a complete overhaul. Um, it's like just, a, it was seemed like it was such a well-built roster, but like such crazy flaws in that Eagles roster and just could be a teardown type situation. It could be a very, very rough year for Nick Sirianni. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in on the Dan Campbell experience, but only because I want to be a contrarian. I, mean, I'm, well, I, so I, I keep joking about maybe it's a bit, but I, I write about this and I think too, like uh, despite, I think I'm coming around or he might be putting like a new age spin on like the oldest football cliches there are, there are about like toughness and determination. Like he might just be, he, he, he's a very interesting, he's definitely more interesting, more interesting like than the caricature that's already being made out about him. Like he wouldn't be like the first guy to just succeed with like relentless positivity, basically, you know, staff is full of like former players. Like this is going to be like a, a player's type coach, even if he's like a tough love sometimes he, Dan Campbell is definitely more interesting hire uh, than he's being made out to be. Oh, a thousand percent. Uh, I was in on him when he said any, whether, I, whether this was a bit or not, cause I say this all the time. Like I, I, the, the true alpha jokes or whatever, like I do, <laughs> I, maybe this just reveals me as like a disgusting person, but, um, I'll tell you, my fiance thinks it is a disgusting quality of myself to the true. I always just said, uh, the true alpha knows like when to back down. And he's literally <laughs> said that. And I was like, all right, I'm in on this guy. He was probably serious. I'm not serious about it, but, uh, I have no idea, but I'm whatever. I want to see the, uh, I want to see the, uh, the, the way it plays out on that note. Good God. Definitely don't let me talk into a microphone anymore. This was horrible. I can't believe that. Uh, Pat, rankings are awesome. We love it. People, go check out all of the analysis there. Uh, remember to keep a level head before tweeting Pat about the uh, about the rankings. By the way, he's at RotoPat, so go tell him he did a great job with the analysis <laughs> on all the blurbs in the rankings after you read them. Uh, Pat, where can we find you? Uh, anything else you want to plug before we let you out of here? Yeah, truly my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. NBC Sports Edge, formerly Rotor World. Which it's tough for all. I still say Rotor World all the time, but I'm at NBC Sports Edge. We got a ton of great stuff. We got the coach rankings on the site, you may have heard. I uh, got draft guide season coming up. Uh, we have a lot of zero RB content from Denny Carter. I shouldn't ever plug Denny Carter. But yeah, we got a lot of great Denny propaganda stuff. artists over there uh, with yeah. the zero RB thing. <laughs> got a lot of great best ball content from John Dagle right now. So check out NBC Sports Edge NFL. Yeah, uh, different name, but same awesome analysis, even if it's from different folks there at Roto World. John Daigle. I was going to say, it's a different name. It is literally the exact same. So, you know, we're, yeah. we're rebranding, but it is the exact same amazing content. And yeah, some new people. we got Pat Corain, awesome. Kyle Dvorak, yeah. our up-and-comer. We, we got a lot of good stuff going on right now. The Roto World coaching tree remains extremely strong, and Pat is the uh, root of the tree. We love to see it. Uh, while you're waiting to uh, check out what Pat uh, you know, ranks next for NBC Sports Edge, uh, you throw in your earbuds for some college football talk, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. You should also be listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth conversation from the world of the NBA. I mean, it's playoff season. It's throwing things at players season there in the NBA, so you got to be checking out what is, I mean, what is going on here. I don't people, know what's going on, man. People were locked up inside too long. They forgot, like, you can't just do stuff like that. You That's the only narrative there. that makes sense because only it's narrative. Been, it's been crazy. 
it is unbelievable uh people get it together come on uh we're back out in the real world now and like let's let's act with some grace that they're letting you out in public events for god's <laughs> sakes <laughs> give me a break uh i'm at matt Harmon underscore byb he's at rotopat as mentioned check us out on twitter at yahoo fantasy we are out